Cervical cancer was one of the most common causes of cancer death for women in the U.S. Death rates dropped with an increased use of the pap test and in recent years, use of HPV testing and vaccinations. In this edition of Health Styles, we sit down with Dr. Scott Meyer of Sarah Bush Lincoln Women's Healthcare for a discussion about the cause and treatment of this highly preventable type of cancer. Dr. Meyer will also provide information on when tests such as the PAP and HPV should be administered and who should be getting the vaccine. Before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the scope of your practice here at Sarah Bush Lincoln. Okay, well, I'm a general OBGYN physician. I've been practicing at Sarah Bush for about 12 and a half years. Um, and really, I consider myself a generalist, which means I, I do anything from taking care of adolescents who want birth control to delivering babies to you know helping women in their middle age start screening mammograms, um, and then all the way up to women in their 80s who have issues with uterine prolapse or even cancer issues. So pretty much the full scope of practice throughout a woman's life. All right, well, we're talking about cervical cancer today, and we wanted to provide our listeners with some background on this type of cancer, such as risk factors, screening tests, and prevention. So let's start by asking, how common is cervical cancer, and who is most likely at risk of getting it? Cervical cancer is the third most common cause of gynecologic cancer in the United States behind um, uterine cancer and ovarian cancer. There are between 14 and 15,000 cases per year in the United States, and somewhere between four and 5,000 women per year die of cervical cancer. Worldwide, it's actually a much larger issue. There are more than half a million cases a year worldwide and 300,000 deaths worldwide. As far as risk factors, uh, cervical cancer, the vast majority of cases are associated with human papillomavirus, which is a sexually transmitted infection. So really, anything that puts a woman at risk for sexually transmitted infection puts her at risk for cervical cancer. Um, so things like early onset of sexual activity, um, high number of sexual partners throughout her lifetime, having partners who are high risk, um, having any history of sexually transmitted diseases, and then also any immunosuppression, things like HIV, put a woman at much higher risk. From more of an environmental perspective, um, lower socioeconomic status is associated with higher rates of cervical cancer. Cigarette smoking is definitely associated with higher risks of cervical cancer. Um, and then also having an uncircumcised male partner. Um, that's because they're more likely to transmit HPV during sexual activity. So is HPV the only cause of cervical cancer? It is not the only cause, but 99.7% of cervical cancers are associated with HPV. So okay. it's pretty much the only cause. Okay. I want to talk a little more about the HPV vaccine in a little bit, but talk about what are the symptoms versus, you know, talk about early symptoms versus later stage. So women with early stage cervical cancer typically have no symptoms. It, it's picked up at a screening pap smear or, or some type of pelvic exam for another indication. Um, and, and roughly 40 to 50% of women have just local disease, which really doesn't have any symptoms. When it becomes more of a late, late diagnosis, um, oftentimes abnormal bleeding, especially bleeding after sex can be a symptom. And then a lot of women also have kind of a watery, foul-smelling discharge. Um, again, that's associated with later disease. Advanced disease, where it is, when it is spread to other places, especially within the pelvis, women have pelvic pain, back pain, a lot of times blood in their urine, blood in their stools as, as the cancer actually grows into other organs. 
So you talked about a pap test. That is that the only, that is the test for screening for cervical cancer? Well, there have been a lot of changes in the past few years. Okay. Um, well, yeah, so. I want to talk about this because this gets very confusing about what age, how often, so... Okay, so, so pap smear has been the gold standard, standard for cervical cancer screening for well over 50 years. Um, and it is still a part of the screening, but now, again, now that we know that most cervical cancers are HPV associated, HPV testing has become part of the regimen as well. So um, for some people it's pap smear by itself, some people it's a combination of pap smear plus HPV test, um, other people it's HPV testing alone. In this country, it's been mainly pap smear and pap smear plus HPV testing. Um, the HPV testing by itself is becoming much more pop popular in underdeveloped countries because it doesn't require as much medical expertise to actually administer the test. It's probably going to catch on more here in the next few years as well. Is that HPV test, is that a blood test or what kind of test it's, is it's that? A, it's a test from the cervix itself. Okay. So it's a cervical swab, although again, there are studies that show that women who self-collect a specimen themselves can pick up HPV. So let's clear up some of the confusion, misconceptions, the changes with getting the pap test. Okay. Um, the current guidelines are that a woman should start having screening pap smears at age 21. And from age 21 to 30, those should occur every three years if they're all, always normal. Um, between age 30 and 65, then it kind of depends on which testing is done. If it's just pap smear by itself, it continues to be every three years. If it's a pap smear plus an HPV test, the interval can go as long as five years, okay. although there's a little bit of controversy with that as well. Um, the HPV testing by itself, again, can be every five years. Um, pap smears are stopped at age 65, so it's okay. not recommended that we continue them at all beyond age 65 unless we are following a woman who has abnormal pap smears and we're waiting for them to clear up. So why stop at 65? The risk goes way down? The, the cervical cancer is a very slowly developing disease. And if a woman does not have a precancerous issue of her cervix by age 65, then statistically speaking, she's more likely to die of something else before she dies of cervical cancer. Not that women beyond age 65 can't get cervical cancer, but if they don't have it by age 65, probably they're going to die of something else before they get that. So it's, it sounds terrible, but statistically speaking, it's really not beneficial to do a screening test beyond age 65. So if that screening test comes back abnormal, what's the next step? It somewhat depends on the age of the patient and what the abnormal actually is. Um, so we are much less aggressive with younger women because we know that a lot of abnormalities in a young woman are transient and their immune system clears it. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, especially in a younger woman, the only the only follow-up would be a repeat pap smear and an HPV test in a year. Other women have to go on to an actual diagnostic procedure, which is a procedure called a colposcopy. Uh, a colposcopy is a procedure where we evaluate the cervix under magnification. We put different substances on the cervix to make any abnormalities stand out easier so we can see them, and then actually take biopsies of the cervix itself. Um, that tells us how deep the abnormality goes and tells us is it really precancerous and something we need to worry about or not. So is that uh, a test that you do as a gynecologist, or is that like an oncologist does that? No, it's a test that, that gynecologists and even our advanced practice nurses that have been trained to do it can do it also. So that's an in-office? It, it is an in-office procedure, yes. Okay. So let's go back to this link between HPV and cervical cancer. You said, you know, it is the primary cause. Um, talk about getting the vaccine. What, what do you recommend and at what age? The FDA currently has the vaccine approved for women, actually adolescents, at as early as age 9 and then continuing all the way up to age 45. Um, the current recommendations are that 
adolescents receive the vaccine between the ages of 11 and 12. We know that the immune response is a little bit better kind of in the 11 to 12 year old age group. It can be given to women all the way up to age 45. The vaccine tends to be more beneficial in women who have not been exposed to HPV before. So if a woman has had multiple sexual partners at age 25 and wants the HPV vaccine, she can still get it. It still may be beneficial, mm -hmm. but it's less likely to be beneficial if she's already contracted HPV. Um, whereas a woman that's maybe only had one sexual partner her entire life and goes through a life change and then wants to get the vaccine, it very well may be beneficial to her. So how do you talk to you know, moms or parents of, of younger girls about this vaccine? Because I, I think I remember when it came out, it was, there was some controversy associated with because it's a comes from, a, you know, having intercourse. How do you, how do you talk to those parents about that? Uh, I, I'm, I'm very blunt with them, quite okay. frankly. Um, there, there was a study done several years ago that looked at women when they entered college and women when they left college and they tested them for HPV. 20% of them were positive when they entered college and 80% of them were positive when they left college. Okay. So the reality is, you know, most young adults are going to have most, multiple sexual partners in their lifetime. And cervical cancer is to a very large extent a preventable disease. Mm -hmm. um, the vaccine is extremely beneficial, it's highly effective, uh, has very minimal side effects. Um, and if you can prevent your daughter or son from going through an HPV-related cancer or genital warts, which the vaccine also prevents, mm -hmm that can be very big for them later in life. So this is also, we should mention, it's not just females that should get the vaccine, boys and men should as well. Absolutely. Uh, the, the number one reservoir of HPV is men. <laughs> they give it to the women. So if you, you can, pre the, you if you can prevent young men from getting it, you're gonna prevent young women from getting it. Okay. Um, and HPV is also associated with other cancers other than cervical cancer. So, like what? Um, anal cancer, oral pharyngeal cancers, um, cancers of the external genitals, so, um, you know, vulvar cancers in women, vaginal cancers in women, um, and really squamous cell cancer of the penis in men, although that is very rare. But especially the anal cancers and the oral pharyngeal cancers are thought to be HPV related in most cases. So what is your risk if you're, you know, male or female, you know, you're in your 30s and you have HPV for women, I guess, um, and it's maybe too late for you to get the vaccine, are you gonna get cervical cancer? Most people who get HPV do not get cervical cancer. Okay. Um, it, it's basically once HPV is detected, it means we need to follow much closer with more frequent surveillance to catch it before it becomes cancer. Um, really the goal of screening is not to pick up cervical cancer, it's to pick up things that are precancerous and get rid of them before they become cancer. It's, it's a lot like your colonoscopy, <laughs> okay. It's, it's actually, it, cervical, the pap smear was truly the gold standard for screening test. It, it was the first one that was widely available, widely utilized, and it's been proven over the course of decades. So if someone is diagnosed with cervical cancer, I know you're not an oncologist, but what is kind of the course of treatment for that? It somewhat depends on how advanced the cancer is. So um, basically, Smaller cancers that are contained within the cervix by themselves can be treated either with a simple hysterectomy or with a large biopsy of the cervix or removal of the cervix. So for, for a woman who has a local cancer that still wants childbearing, there are options to leave the uterus in place and just remove the cancer. Once it becomes more advanced, then you have to do, um, you have to, you have to do what's called a radical hysterectomy, which is a surgery where you take more of the pelvis, pelvic tissue itself to get an adequate margin around the tumor. Um, typically, both of those procedures are done by a gynecologic oncologist. Okay. So it's a person who had training like me, but then had a three or four year fellowship on top of that, just taking care of gynecologic cancers. Um, and they're the specialists in, the, in the, the more radical surgeries, I guess. 
for larger tumors, it's impossible to get a two centimeter margin around the tumor. So they're actually treated with what's called chemo radiation therapy. So it's radiation therapy, but the chemotherapy is used to sensitize and sync up the, the tumor cells so they respond better to radiation. Okay. So you've said this is a treatable, preventable cancer. So just review for us. Let's talk about prevention. What do you recommend? Um, number one, HPV vaccine. Um, and, and, I mean, I would encourage everyone to get their 11 and 12-year-old children vaccinated. Uh, again, the, the only... The only real side effect of the vaccine is that it hurts. Kids aren't going to like it. Yeah. But I mean, I in this country, we spend billions of dollars a year dealing with precancers, lesions, cancers, and genital warts that in a large extent could be eliminated if we use the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, then the second thing would be make sure you come in for the appropriate screening test in the appropriate time. Um, I, I've diagnosed probably two or three cervical cancers a year. Mm-hmm. And typically, it's a woman that hasn't had a pap smear in 15 to 20 years. Um, a woman that comes in every year for a pap smear or every three years, depending on what her age is and what the recommendations are, is highly unlikely to actually develop cancer. Um, they, there are some exceptions. You can have a very aggressive tumor, which goes from normal to cancer in a year, but the vast majority of cervical cancers develop over many years. And as long as we catch them in the precancer stage and treat them, women won't get cancer. I, again, I just, I just truly want to stress that cervical cancer truly is a very preventable disease. It, it's not something that you, you know, you breast cancer, you really can't prevent. You're either going to get it or you're not going to get it. There are a few preventative measures. Cervical cancer, truly, with the vaccine, with the screening tests, we can catch the vast majority of women before they develop cancer and, and, and never have to go through the aggressive treatment for cancer. And that's not something you hear a lot when it comes to cancer. That's good news. All right, Dr. Meyer, thank you so much for talking to us today. Appreciate it. You're welcome. If you have symptoms like those described by Dr. Meyer, we encourage you to see your physician. Remember, the information we presented this podcast is for informational purposes only and not a substitute for medical care. You can learn more about cervical cancer by visiting the American Cancer Society at cancer.org. To learn more about women's health care at Sarah Bush Lincoln, check us out at sarahbush.org. The providers in this clinic offer comprehensive obstetrics and gynecological services to women of all ages and at all stages of life. Thanks for listening to Health Styles. I'm your host, Lori Banks. We hope you'll join us again.